Take your Bible, turn with me if you would please, to your, in your Bible to 2 Corinthians, please, chapter number 7 this evening. I uh, was waiting on my wife to bring me a tie and a jacket that would match this shirt and pants. So I got scared that she wasn't going to get back in time. So I just found this one and put it on. I started to the usher's rack to get a jacket. And she blew her horn and locked her car and took off to wherever she is going. So wherever she was, she was able to punch a button and unlock her car. And if my jacket don't match the rest of it, don't even worry about it for a minute. Because I'm not going to, all right. Next week I'll try to go home before uh, I, I, I have the service. And, uh, but I want you to take a look tonight. Uh, this is a very, very special, special chapter. It's, it's, it's been extremely difficult for me to, uh, to get a handle on. But I want you to think about this word, okay? Revival. If we, can, if we can wrap our mind around a word, a clause, a phrase, a theme, uh, we, can, we can make uh, the rest of it make sense. You know, you know what I mean? But if we just take a shotgun and shoot at it and have no idea of what Paul is addressing. Paul, I think, is addressing finally after all the struggle, and you know what the struggles have been. After all the heartaches and hardships and difficulties and the prayers that Paul has prayed, finally they have bore fruit. This church, if you read the book of 1 Corinthians and you read uh, these chapters that we've been reading, this church is a king or was a king-sized mess. Filled with sin Absolutely clouded by selfishness, childishness, women out of control, men out of control because the women were in control, tongue talkers getting drunk at the Lord's Supper, going to court between each other. Arguing about things offered to idols, whether they could eat it or not. This church is probably the most selfish, carnal church in all the New Testament. It was built in one of the most hellish, demon-possessed, sin-controlled cities in all of that area. And the Apostle Paul, because of a burden for souls, went to this place called Corinth, filled with sailors, prostitutes, pimps, outlaws, drug addicts, alcoholics, and absolutely whatever else you might want to call them. And he went there and began soul winning and witnessing and built a church. Glory to God. Amen. He had to leave, and in his absence... Some of the legalizers from Jerusalem made their way down 
and began to preach false doctrine. Began to throw doubt upon grace, which Paul was an inherit to, and began to preach law. The heathen element in the church began to be worldly, and the world began to slip in the church. And uh, you couldn't tell much difference in the world and the church. And of course, you, de- you can't do that today. Average church, it looks like the average uh, rock concert or the average theater crowd that goes every Saturday night. Uh, eating their popcorn, drinking their Kool-Aid or whatever else they're doing. But the world had slipped in the church and Paul had written that to confront that. Now, mind you, may I suggest to you, when you start preaching or teaching the Word of God, it's going to cut across the grain of carnality, sinfulness, drunkenness, pervertedness. And when you start preaching against that stuff, you're not going to be very popular. At the time of writing these letters, the Apostle Paul was not allowed to preach at Corinth because an element inside the church has got their clique together and actually they'd voted Paul out. And this element in the church so detested Paul, so hated Paul, They began to question his apostleship, his integrity, his honesty. They even accused him of stealing the offerings. And they would not allow him to come to the church. So he wrote them three letters. So they say, the only thing we know is of two letters. And if he had written three letters, one of them wasn't inspired because God allowed it to be lost. And if God wanted it in the canon of Scripture, God would have preserved it. Just like He preserved the 66 books in the canon. And so I am thinking maybe the letter that He is referring to is that letter that said, if you've got somebody living in fornication, kick them out. And I'm probably secure in thinking that if you are getting drunk at the Lord's Supper, kick them out. Oh, Paul was a separatist. He believed you need to separate yourself from sin. And so because of that, until this chapter, Paul has not been welcomed at the church he started. And then we write, Verse 2, because we covered verse 1 last week. Receive us. We have wronged no man. We have corrupted no man. We have defrauded no man. Regardless of what you've heard, regardless of what's gone through the church, Regardless of what's been spread about the city, we haven't done it. I speak not this to condemn you. For I've said before that ye are in our hearts to die and live with you. Great is my boldness of speech toward you. Great is my glory of you. I am filled with comfort I am exceeding joyful 
in all of our tribulations. For when we were come into Macedonia, our flesh had no rest, but we were troubled on every side. Without were fightings, within were fears. Nevertheless, God that comforteth those that are cast down, comforted us by the coming of Titus. And not by his coming only, but by the consolation wherewith we was comforted in you. When he told us of your earnest desire for your mourning, for your fervent mind toward me, so that I rejoice the more. Something's happened to the church. They're, they're softening up toward the apostle Paul. For though I made you sorry with a letter, you won't let me preach, I'll write to you. I do not repent, though I did repent. For I perceive that the same epistle hath made you sorry, though it were but for a season. Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that you sorrowed to repentance. That's revival. Anytime you can get a bunch of backslidden, squabbling, childish, carnal Baptists to repent, you've got revival. For you were made sorry after a godly manner. That you might receive damage by us in nothing. For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. A lot of difference in remorse and repentance. Amen. One, you're sorry you got caught. The other one's you're sorry you did it toward God. One leads to repentance, one leads to embitterment. See? You need to be careful. Now notice if you would. And I. For behold this self same thing. That you sorrowed after a godly sort. What carefulness it wrought in you. Oh if God's people. Would learn to be careful again. Careful who you run with. Careful. What you do with your life. Careful what you do with your money. It wrought in you, yea, but what clearing of yourselves, yea, and what indignation, and yea, what fear, and yea, and what vehement desire, yea, and what zeal, yea, and what revenge. In all things, ye have approved yourselves to be clear in this matter. Now I wrote, and wherefore though I wrote unto you, I did it not for the cause of that had done the wrong. Now, I really don't know if the reference there is to the man in 1 Corinthians 5 that was having relations with his father's wife. And if it's that reference, then his father was still living while the dirty devil did it. Not for his cause that suffered the wrong, 
He said, I wrote you the letter. But that our care for you in the sight of God might be might appear unto you. Now what God's people don't really realize is when God's preacher is preaching to them, it's not for his benefit. Paul might have been referring to the fellow in the church who was wrong in Paul. And he might have been the one that was wronged. If that be true, then he was writing this letter not to vindicate himself, not to charge the guy who is doing it, but for the benefit of the church, that the church may see that Paul cares for them and not himself. Got that? Well, let's read on. You say, well, preacher, we're going to finish. Only got four more verses to read and we can go. Therefore, we were comforted in your comfort, yea, and exceeding the more joyed we are for the joy of Titus, because his spirit was refreshed by you all. Paul couldn't preach. He sent Timothy and they run him off. And so now he sends Titus with these letters. And from looks of everything, they accepted Titus. They loved Titus. And Titus loved them. And that refreshed Paul that they did accept the courier and the letter. You got that? I know you realize that. For if I had boasted anything of him to you, of you, I'm not ashamed. But as we spake all things to you in truth, even so our boasting, which I made before Titus, is found the truth. And his inward affection is more abundant toward you. Whilst he remembered the obedience of you all, how with fear and trembling you received him. I rejoice, therefore, that I have confidence in you in all things. Now, in reading them verses, do you see any, any slant that maybe Paul had changed his mind about the church? And that the church <coughs> had changed his mind about Paul. And the reason there has been a change is because the church has experienced revival. And I believe with all my heart, you, we can look down through you and we can see factors that involves, that is involved in revival. I think we could stand a, a revival. I think I could stand a revival of God's sweet spirit within my own soul. And I believe that our church could stand some of that. Don't you believe that? Now let's look at some factors quickly as we look. And we're going to go through them real, real quickly. Notice if you would please, the first factor in having a revival, I think, is a faithful preacher. God does not bless unfaithful preachers. God does not bless preachers that are not what they say they are. God does not bless preachers that do not walk and desire to walk with God and have a closer walk with God. Uh, if you cannot check a preacher's credit, then God already knows it. Now listen to me. It's important. What people know about preachers. Uh, whether we like it or not, preachers, pastors live in glass castles. And things are open in a preacher's life that's not open in other people's life. And I think they ought to be far above reproach. The Bible said that he should be guiltless, if you please. And, uh, and so I, I just believe that the reason 
that Corinth has experienced revival is because of the faithfulness of the Apostle Paul. Please notice in the first place, if you would please, he had a great desire. Verse 2, if you notice, please, receive us. Receive us. Paul had already mentioned that his heart was open to them. His mouth was open to them. He had preached the truth. He had preached the truth in love. He begged them, please, now, don't be so narrow. Don't be so straight. Open your hearts to us. We have wronged no man. We've defrauded no man. We've cheated no man. So, please, we have a great desire. Receive us the way you did when I won you to Christ and started the church. I think, I, think, I, I, I think every preacher worth his salt would like for his people to receive not only him, but the message that he preaches. Amen. A great desire. Paul wanted to see that church right. Paul, it broke his heart when he had heard about the sin that was going on in the church. Uh, God only knows the sleepless, sleepless nights of burdens, families, heartaches, hurts that we cannot do anything about except pray. And sleepless nights and long days because of our desire to see God bless. And then you cut right across the principles of God and don't do what God says to do. But even though you don't fall into line with God's precepts and God's principles, when you go through the heartaches and the troubles, there's still sleepless nights because of the desire that a preacher or a pastor, if he loves you at all, has for God to bless you. How many people each week do I sit in council with that's living in a dead-end street? No hope for tomorrow. No plans for tomorrow. Caught up with yesterday and today. I've had none less than 10 calls this week from the jail from a friend Paul, the reason the church at Corinth had revival because they had a great preacher who had a desire in their heart, in his heart, that they might turn to God, that God might bless them and prosper them. He had a great desire. Secondly, he had a great love, verse 3. The Bible says, and notice it, I speak not this to condemn you. For I have said before that you are in our hearts to die and to live with you. Great preachers have a great love for their people. And people know whether you genuinely love them or not. 
And the reason this crowd finally gave in to God is they finally realized they'd been lied to, they'd been cheated, they'd been defrauded by an element in the church and that the Apostle Paul was what he said he was and he loved them with all of his heart. Thirdly, he had great boldness, verse 4. This is where he got in trouble. (laughs) Everybody can handle that love business. Everybody loves that great desire business. But now notice something. Verse 4. You cannot have revival without you have truth. You can't sugarcoat sin and have revival. You cannot look the other way when church members are doing what they ought not to do. And have God bless because God sees and God knows. And the Bible says... In verse 4, great is my boldness of speech toward you. Did you get that? Well, I just, a lot of times, when I get through preaching, and I have to say things that I, I really don't want to say, and I have to do things I really don't want to do. And, and I, I say some things, and not ten minutes later, I start regretting what I said. And then I wonder how many people is going to misunderstand. How many people is is tuned in to flesh. And I'm trying to get them tuned in to spirit. And I'm speaking spirit and they're tuned in to flesh. And I wonder how many is going to misunderstand. And who's going to leave a note on the preacher's door saying I won't be back. Who's going to hold their tithe to try to squeeze the preacher out? And I wondered, Paul said, I wondered that when I wrote this letter. But you said, if you notice something, great is my boldness of speech. Folk, don't get mad at somebody for telling you the truth. Don't throw cold water on a hot sermon. I mean, don't do that. Get on board with the thing, man. Uh, get off that worldly track. Get on God's track. And that's why they had revival, because Paul was not ashamed to say how the cat ate the cabbage. And folk get mad because I mentioned tithing. Hey, look, I don't mention tithing because I need your money. I mention tithing because you need God's blessings. And if you look at it from a carnal standpoint, you'll get mad at me. That's all he talks about. Well, it's not all I talk about. But carnality misunderstands spirituality. And sometimes you have to be bold. Notice not only that, verse 4, his confidence. Notice this. He had confidence. Verse number 4. And I am filled with comfort. Notice, and great is my glory of you. For I'm filled with comfort and I am exceeding joyful in all our tribulations. Now the word glory means praise. 
praise. He was praising them, had confidence in them. They glory in, in, in their confidence. And notice verse 5, not only was he great in his desire, his love, his boldness, his confidence. Verse 5, he was faithful. Look at this. For when we were coming to Macedonia, our flesh had no rest. But we're troubled on every side, and without we're fightings, and within we're fears. I wonder how many of us would have thrown in a towel about that time. Huh? If I told you some of the Mickey Mouse stuff that people left our church for, I mean, it would, it's humoring to some, it's heartbreaking to me. That I can that I can win people to Christ and teach them for years and years and years and years. I marry their kids. I bury their moms and dads and their grandparents and so forth and so on. And you'd be surprised some of the earth-shaking reasons they give for leaving. And I don't feel bad for them. I feel like a failure because I can minister to them all these many years and never get them above kindergarten stage spiritually. What a shame. But then there's those folks who, like Paul, through thick or thin, hell or high water, hurt, disappointment, they're still here. Hmm? Still here. But you know something? I hadn't been looking for a church either. I'm still here. You notice that, don't you? Paul told this crowd, I'm still preaching the same thing. I still stand for the same thing. If you think I'm coming over on your side, you fell out of your tree. If it's ever going to get right with God, you're going to cover on my side. You see what I mean? It's because it's God's side. And there's just something to say about faithfulness. Amen? Amen. Now, when I got saved, when I got saved, honest, I told the Lord, I can't preach. And you're living proof of that. <laughs> and I couldn't sing. I couldn't do anything. But I told God, I can be faithful. I can be faithful. I didn't start out preaching. But I started church and I was backwards. I didn't know what church was supposed to be. And my four little old toe-headed kids, I took them off to Sunday school. And every time there was an opportunity to serve God open, I volunteered. I'm talking about the first week. I was mad because I couldn't lead singing. I couldn't even care to tune a bucket. But boy, I'll tell you, God lit a fire in my soul. And it started to bloom. And it started to blossom. And I'm so glad that I determined 46 years ago I may not be able to do anything else, but I can be faithful.
And if you ask anybody in this country that knows me, they will say, he can't preach, he can't sing, and his dogs are sorry, but he's faithful. And he's been faithful. Thank God Paul, through difficulties, hardships, was faithful. That's why God sent revival in that place. Notice his great sufficiency, verse 6. Don't miss this. Don't miss this. Nevertheless, God that comforteth those that are cast down, comforted us by the coming of Titus. A couple of things I'd like to tell you about that and we'll close if you'd like. Paul let the church at Corinth know that his sufficiency was not in himself, not in his education, not in his talents, not in his gifts, not in his financial standing. His sufficiency was of God. Amen. Amen. And have you ever noticed God used people to encourage other people? But wouldn't you like to be a Titus who encouraged an apostle Paul. A young man. Maybe not much more than a teenager, if you please. And in Paul's lowest ebb, when he was cast down, maybe discouraged, having problems with this thorn in his flesh, And emotionally distraught. Maybe not at the point of quitting. But that point of despair. A friend showed up. A young friend. And he shared the good news. What had gone on over at Corinth. He said you won't believe Paul. That crowd wants to see you. They're mourning because you're not there. Their hearts are broken because they've wronged you. They've experienced revival. Would that encourage you? Paul said, the God that comforts all men comforted me by the coming of Titus. Isn't that amazing? A faithful preacher. Notice, if you would please, the second element to revival was an unforgettable letter. Verse 8, an unforgettable letter. I would read for you now verse 7. And not by his coming only, Titus coming only, but by the consolation wherewith he was Comforted in you. In other words, the way you treated him, the church, you church at Corinth, the way you treated Titus was a comfort to him and me too. When he told us of your earnest desire, your mourning, your fervent mind toward me, so that I rejoice the more. He said the good news from Titus was that I wasn't a dirty rat after all, you folk been. I was 
Verse 8. Be quiet, Ben. Tell that bald-headed little sucker, you better straighten out in church. And though I made you sorry with a letter, I do not repent. Though I did repent, because after I wrote you that letter, he said, I was sure sorry I wrote you that letter. I thought I might have been a little bit strong in that letter. I thought I might have said some things wrong. I might not have expressed things like I should. I do not repent, but I did repent. For I perceive that the same epistle or letter hath made you sorry. Though it was but for a season. Now I rejoice. I'm not repenting over the letter. I rejoice. Every once in a while I preach one of them. Uh, 31,000 foot sermons. You remember, Jerry? I preach one of them 35,000 foot sermons. And I go home and I say, oh, I wonder who's going to call now and say they're not coming back. Get a little note in the mail. Preacher, that sermon you preached the other night was exactly what I needed. Then I rejoice. I go home and repent. And I walk around the house and sulk. And I don't sleep all night. And my wife wonders if I... My dog is sick or something. And she don't understand. Paul said, I wrote you a letter. I repented. I wrote that. But I really thought I was too harsh and too hard. But you know, I rejoice now. Why? Not that you were made sorry. But that you sorrowed to repentance. No letter, no sorrow, no repentance. Got that? No harsh letter, no rebuking of sin, no sorrow for sin, no repentance. Same old church, same old carnal crowd, same old arguing and bickering. Paul said, now I rejoice. For you were made sorry after a godly sorrow that you might receive damage by us in nothing. For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation. Not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. For behold, this self-same thing that you sorrowed after a godly sort. Notice, what carefulness it wrought in you. Careful not to allow and get puffed up over sin in the church. Careful who you serve the Lord's Supper to. Careful why you serve the Lord's Supper. Careful to stand for grace and not law. Careful to preach liberty and not bondage. Careful he's thrilled that the churches had revival and now they're careful instead of careless. Isn't that something? I want to be a member of a careful church. 
I want to be a member of a church where people care about how other people are doing. I want to be a member of a church where people care how we dress when we come to church. I want to be a member of a church where we're careful and not condemning. And if that's all we got, that's perfectly all right to wear it to church. I want to be a member of a church that is careful. Careful about the words you say. Keep them soft and sweet because you never know from day to day which ones you'll have to eat. Careful. Notice. It wrought in you, yea, and what clearing of yourselves. <laughs> you don't think maybe we ought to start cleaning our own selves up before we start dressing somebody else down? And what indignation, righteous anger. Sin is sin. God hates sin. But it's a righteous indignation. It is not a putting up with it. It is not a, 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 a embracing it. It is not going along. Righteous indignation against wrong. Yea, what fear. You know, I'd be afraid not to tithe. I'd be afraid not to teach my kids right. Hmm? I'd be afraid to put my hands on another woman in, in the wrong way. I'd be afraid to. Afraid God would kill me. And you better be afraid too, or else I'll kill you. Keep your hands off other people's wives. Because I'll go through you like a Toro lawnmower. Cutting both directions. You don't like that? You lump it. This is no place that any woman should ever be afraid. Or no man ever be afraid to bring his wife to this place. If you're a pervert, best thing for you to do, take your letter. Jump on your little bicycle. And go home. It'd be a lot less bloody there than it will be here if you put your hands on another woman. Now, if you ain't getting a drift, you ain't seen no righteous indignation till you see this hillbilly get in the flesh. And I do have flesh, don't I, Jim? Go ahead, you can say amen, man. Now, Billy has never seen it. <laughs> Me and Billy's going somewhere with the day. I have no idea where we're going. He's just trying to make my day. He said, do you remember when you grabbed that big old boy and pulled him across that fence? I said, no, Billy, you must have been dreaming. <laughs> Righteous indignation. It's okay to get put out about sin and wrong and perversion. Well, I better close because I'm getting close to a vehement desire. Vehement desire is a strong passion. Now they have a strong passion for Paul. Now they have a righteous indignation against sin. They were puffed up about it over in 
chapter number four and five. But now they have a righteous indignation. They fear to allow that to go on in the church. Now I wonder why. It's because they've had revival. And yea, what zeal. And what revenge. Isn't that a strange word? Revenge? Would you say that is a strange word for a church that's had revival? Revenge? Something's happened to that church. Is they're not going to let that guy badmouth the Apostle Paul anymore. Revenge is when somebody does something to you and you get even. Revenge is what you do when somebody's wronged the whole bunch and you say, you might ought to leave. Revenge. You say, that's not a spiritual word. It's a Bible word. And Paul said it was the result of the move of God in the church. That just church said, you're not going to put up with that around here. Got that? Not going to put up that around here. I thought that was nice. In fact, now notice, in all things, you have approved yourselves to be clear in this matter. Isn't that something? Revival. And repentance is followed with confession and turning, and you can be clear with God in any matter. God forgives and God forgets. Aren't you glad of that? God forgives and God forgets. All we've got to do is to allow Him to move in our life. Well, it's, it's late. We need to close. And let's, just, let's just close.